Oh, the title of the message today is Greatest in the New Year. Greatest in the New Year. Well, we're approaching uh, this new 2021, and uh, I was listening and watching on local news, recapping all that happened in 2020. And after about five minutes into this, I just had to turn the channel. It's like, oh my goodness, what we have come through in the last year, it has just been incredible. So I think we're all ready to put uh, 2020 behind us in our rearview mirror. But um, there are still some lingering issues that we will continue to monitor and mediate and to adjust to. But I I believe we're going to move forward. I think that there's a lot to us. You know what I've learned over the last, specifically the last six months? For us as a congregation, we seem to be pretty resilient. When we were forced to, these are so distracting. <laughs> Somebody's got the high beams on. Yeah. When we were first introduced the idea of us coming together as a congregation, and we're going to be minimal in terms of our size and location and spacing and masking and so on, it was met with a lot of frustration. And to see us deal with how we had to come together and somehow we've adjusted and realized, okay, this is the way it is now. And for us to gather together to enjoy fellowship with one another and to open God's word and just to be together and to explore what God wants us to know, um, we decide we're going to go ahead and do all that. But I believe that God has a word for us as we look ahead, as we move forward. And it's always very um, interesting, I guess. It's fascinating. It's probably the better word. To see the dialogue between the disciples and Jesus. Uh, As they moved along, they went from town to town, community to community, territory. And they met with people that had needs and they had met challenges all along the way. And and how they saw their circumstance and how they discussed what they were facing. And and how um, you could see from their perspective about what they were facing. And then, and then Jesus would come in and, and would confer and would talk with them and give them some context and give them a better understanding of what actually God was doing in front of them. So it's an amazing thing. So there's three points that we're going to ponder today. Now notice the P's. I worked hard on this this week. Okay. The three points to ponder as we peer into 2000. Uh, 2021. We have a place of personal ambition. We have possession of personal knowledge. And thirdly, we have proposition of personal power. Okay? Uh, my homiletics professor said you do well if you put out three points in a poem every time uh, you give a message. So we've got the three points. Uh, we're going to stay away from the poem. <laughs> Good. <laughs> let's, let's pray again and ask God to bless our time. Heavenly Father, I thank you for our church. We thank you for the fellowship that we have and the shared experience that we are knowing. And Father, we have come a long way this last year in dealing with some challenges. We, we pray this morning, though, that you would continue to protect us As a congregation, not only our health, but our stability, our well-being. We pray that you would give us strength and perseverance and fortitude, Lord, that we can stand in the time that we have. Heavenly Father, our hearts go out to those who have lost, 
those who are struggling with their health right now, those who don't know uh, what the future will hold for them in terms of anything as far as their health or their living arrangements or finances, their relationships. Lord, we're just drawn to the awareness of how much we need you in our lives. And so we pray this day our hearts go out to those that we love, those that we know, those that we don't, those that we work with, those that are friends, those that are our family members, those that we see even in the grocery store. There are those that are hurting today. But Lord, we come together today not only to consider your work in the church and what we're doing as a congregation and how we're reaching the world with finances, and we thank you for that. But Lord, we're also here to discover your word. And your word tells us it is alive. It's powerful. It's active. So Lord, we would ask this day that you would make your word alive in us. So help us to capture the moment, to see the context of what's going on, to hear and to understand the drama of the conversation that you shared with the disciples so long ago that has meaning to our lives here in almost 2021. So we ask you to bless this time, and we thank you in Jesus' name and pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. All right, well, let's look at the scripture. So we're going to be looking again at Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verses 46 through 56. And the first couple of verses are taken out of 9, 46 through 48. And again, the title or the, the, the point that we need to look at is the place of personal ambition. Now, ambition can be good, all right? Ambition helps us to set goals. Ambition helps us to understand that we should do our best in circumstances. Ambition, when it's fulfilled, gives us a sense of achievement. And so ambition today is the driving desire for position, recognition, and reputation that the disciples were trying to experience for themselves. You see, everyone wants to be important. Everyone wants to feel that they're a part. Everyone wants to be noticed. But it's, if we have to say to people that we're important, boy, am I making noise here this morning? If we have to tell people how important we are, we're probably not. Okay? So here it is. There seems to be a problem here. Probably more ways than one. What was I saying about adjusting? <laughs> All right. Now you hear me breathing. <laughs> this is like a really scary sci-fi movie, isn't it? Either that, Dan. I tell you what, I just won't move from the platform, and we'll use. The- Can you hear me okay? Yes. Okay, let's go from here. Okay, so everybody wants to be important. Okay, But there seems to be a real problem here, because earlier on, Jesus is telling them how important the kingdom of God is. He's coming on the heels of the transfiguration, in which Peter, James, and John actually saw Jesus transform into this, this presentation of himself with the glory of God. And so it's interesting... And so Jesus tells them at the end of that episode, he says in verse 44, Let these words sink into your ears, for the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of man. 
But they did not understand this statement, and it was concealed from them so that they they would not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask any more about this statement. Now it's interesting, then all of a sudden in verse 46 it says, an argument started. So this is this really weird jump from this miraculous transfiguration thing, and Jesus said, hey... Listen to this, that the Son of Man and how important He is. And then they make this jump into an argument. Now, they knew that there's this big movement that's happening here. Jesus is moving forward, pronouncing and proclaiming the kingdom of God. There's miraculous events that are taking place. He's positioning Himself to give an understanding of His ministry. His, eventually, His crucifixion and resurrection and the significance that, about all of that. So something was going on here, and they attached themselves to Jesus. Now, it's interesting is that three times we have recorded in the Scripture, James and John tried to position themselves. They wanted to be recognized. They wanted to be recognized for the, their, uh, uh, their position. They wanted to be recognized for their reputation. They wanted to be recognized for their, their, uh, their presence in Jesus. They wanted to be known. And so here they are saying to Jesus in Mark chapter 10, they came and they said, you know, Jesus, can we make a suggestion? Can one of us sit on your right hand and the other on your left in a position of authority? So they tried to position themselves. Well, that didn't work. Jesus kind of struck that down. Well, what happened just a little bit later is their mother came and said, I've got to ask you a favor, Jesus. And Jesus said, well, what is it you want to ask? She says, could you put a place for, on your right hand, on your left hand, for, our, for my sons? And of course, we see in this situation, this is the early days of the helicopter and lawnmower parents <laughs> trying to protect and guard and provide for their young people. And so Jesus said, it's not a time and a place for all this. Then the third time at the Passover in which Jesus washed their feet and said, you need to be servants of one another. You need to humble yourself. You need to recognize how important and valuable you are to each other. And then they had the Lord's Supper. And then there was an argument of, again, who's going to be recognized? Who's going to be the greatest? So something was going on with these disciples that they kept bringing this up. And I wonder about this too. Is that if this was a persistent question that was being raised? I wonder how many times that James and John has started talking about maybe how great they were, how long they've been with Jesus, how competitive they were, or even how talented they were that they're going to be recognized. And I wonder if the other disciples just looked at them and just rolled their eyes. <laughs> Have you, ever t- have you ever talked to somebody trying to tell you how important they are? Oh, yeah. And you just go on and on. It's like, come on. But there was a discussion about all of that. And the Bible says that Jesus knew what was driving their hearts. And he did something pretty, pretty phenomenal. See, he wants to transform the way we think and our motivations that present us to situations that we demonstrate who we are. Now, the Bible says that a child was selected and this child was stood beside Christ. And Jesus said, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. Now this is really a really interesting departure. Because I think that Peter and James and John and the other disciples, they want to know what kind of parameters to live in that they would be successful and known in their spirituality and their discipleship of Jesus Christ. But Jesus said this, you want to be somebody? Then when you receive this child in my name, you receive me. Interesting. 
It's not what can you do, but it's more like an attitude of heart that is presented. Because when you receive this child in my name, you receive Jesus. And when you receive Jesus, you receive the Father. You get all of that relationship. What does this word receive mean? What does this mean to receive somebody? It means to cherish. It means to embrace. It means to value. To receive means to keep. To receive means to love. Now keep this in mind in regard to the context. Now we think about children in our culture. Children are embraced. They're loved. We see these kids are cute. They're wonderful. They're great to have around, especially when we think about Christmas, when they're all going through their gifts, and they're just having a great time, and they're singing, and they're playing, and they're laughing. It's so wonderful. But in this culture, children were not viewed as the same. Children were not valued in this culture. Many, many times the mortality rate is so high that the parents hardly have an opportunity to even know a child. And so, why invest your heart, your soul, your life into a child that may not see tomorrow? And then there's, they have nothing to add to society. Everybody has to work. Children necessarily can't do a whole lot. Children in this, in this culture were helpless. They had no advocate. They were vulnerable. They had no voice. And in this culture, they had no value. But Jesus said, take this child who is virtually looked at as something that is just pointless to have around. But you receive him in my name. You receive me. You see, God has a heart for the hopeless. God has a heart for the helpless. God has a heart for those who are in need. And so the message for us today is this. When we receive others that are not like us, that may not have what we have, that may not have the potential that we believe they should have, when we receive them in the name of Christ, we receive Him. Isn't that the very thing that we want in our lives is more and more God in Christ in our experience? Then if we receive these children, then we actually receive a closeness, a commitment, a dedication of God because we cherish them. We love them. We embrace them. We value them. But it's more than children. Paul nailed it in Romans chapter 15. Let's look at this verse. This is powerful. I can't get away from my mic. Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. You see, our life is not all wrapped up in who we are and how we value things. It's about other people. It's amazing as we as Christians, we multiply our lives. Do you know that? When we invest our lives in one another, we get to experience the fullness of life. We get to experience the joys, the blessings, the challenges, and the trials of others. We multiply our lives. This is not all about us. So he goes on to say, Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good, to his edification, that means benefit, to their goodness, to lift them up. For even Christ did not please himself, really. But it is written, The reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me. Moving along. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. Now, may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant to you to be the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. So when we get this instruction about who we are, how we're related, how we react. <laughs> 
go on. So there is one accord you made with one voice, glorify God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept one another just as Christ has also accepted us to the glory of God. So Jesus said this, you want to be great in the kingdom of God? You receive others. You demonstrate. You encourage others. You give to others. You make uh, their life a beneficial experience for them. Because this is what it's all about. That's why Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. So we come to church, not so much so that we can receive, but we receive so we can go out the door to give it away. God changes how we think. So here's James and John. And they were arguing about who's going to be the greatest. And then it goes on in verse 49. So we see this morning already that we can see the place of personal ambition. Now we see the possession of personal knowledge. Well, by the way, before we go forward, we don't know what 2021 will bring to us. If you've been watching the news, which I know you have, our governor has extended the eviction, the prohibition of eviction until the end of March. And we can see that our president needs to sign a bill that would provide finances and support for those that are without right now. What's going to happen when all that comes to an end? There's going to be a time. This is an opportunity for our church that is unique, that we can love our community. I don't know what that means. I don't know what kind of needs that we're going to face here at Port Orchard, or even our families. I don't know. But if we can see those who are placed in a position in life where they have no voice, they have no advocate, oftentimes that they are judged because of the conditions in which they live, Jesus says, if you receive them in my name, we receive Christ himself. So I don't know. I don't know what kind of opportunities that we will face. But our community needs our church. Whether they know it or not. So be prepared, 2021. Now, possession of personal knowledge. Knowledge is something gained by experience or by information obtained. Here the disciples had their own perception of what was happening. The story goes like this. As they are going along following Jesus, they encountered an individual who was casting out demons in the name of Christ. And John came to Jesus and said, Listen, this is what's going on. This guy doesn't even follow us. This is very interesting. This thing about possession of personal knowledge. Sometimes what we think or believe is accurate is more important than another potential view. What we think is important, our knowledge, our understanding, our conviction, which we believe is accurate, may be more important in our mind than actually the situation in which we face. Let me give you an illustration. So, a number of years ago, you probably remember this. Do you remember when Billy Graham was in Tacoma? You remember that? There was a crusade in Tacoma. It was about a week-long crusade. Many of us went. Um, I had the opportunity to go. And I went there as a potential counselor. Now, I was a new believer in Christ, and so I went to all the training that took place. There was a church 
in Kent in which they said, you know, come at such and such a time for a couple of sessions and we will teach you how to lead someone to Christ and help them understand how they can be oriented to the local church. So I went to this and I was a new Christian. I was all excited about my faith because I was a good old Baptist. I was really amazed when I got to this Methodist church. All these symbols and all these traditions, they were not like Baptists who we know are saved. How do we even know these Methodists are saved? (laughs) They do things different. They talk different. They have different traditions. I'm not really sure that they're saved. You know why? Because they weren't like me. Listen, folks. This guy was casting out demons in the name of Christ. So he had some knowledge that there was power in the name of Jesus Christ. He had to be different, the Bible says, because it took the attention of the disciples toward him. He had a different experience. He had a different tradition. He had a different understanding. He had a different orientation. But I find it very interesting that Jesus didn't walk over and rebuke this guy or even call him a false teacher. Do you notice that? Isn't that intriguing? Jesus always believed that the Father was at work. And so do we. So just because people think differently than us, just because they have a different tradition of what we come to believe and know, does not believe a couple of things. Oftentimes people have a different background. We don't know anything about this guy. We don't know where he came from. We don't know his name. We don't know where he's going. So when we look at circumstances and we're wondering, is this a God thing or not? We have to recognize that people have different backgrounds. They have different maturity levels. We'll start somewhere, right? We could start out all wrong believing some things about Christ, but God moves us into an understanding of what is truthful. We have to give God time. And sometimes there's just different ministry parameters. Maybe there's something that God is doing in the life of this individual that is not only changing these people who were demon-possessed, and now they're not, but one thing for sure is Jesus' name is being proclaimed. So, if people are not opposed to us, they're not against us. We have enough that's going on in the world that's opposed to Christianity. Did you hear what happened in Nigeria just this last week? Boko Haram is doing what they do again. They're militant Muslims, and they're attacking Christian communities. They're kidnapping Christians and they're killing them. We have enough opposing us in this world. China, we we are so caught up in this COVID thing. We have no idea what's going on in the world. We have no idea. China is persecuting Christians now more than they ever had in history. Churches every week are being destroyed. And the Chinese are even altering the Bible to promote their own propaganda. They're adding verses to Scripture and they're interpreting the Bible for the for those Christians or people who are potentially Christians in that culture. 
They're imprisoning our brothers and sisters. They're prosecuting our pastors. Something to be concerned about. So we can stand back here and nitpick all the things that are going on in our culture that we may not agree with because it doesn't fit in our tradition. But across the world, we are being opposed. And Jesus said, if they're not against you, they're for you. And I just wonder how much time we're spending fighting against people that are for us. We've got to be careful going into this new year. We have to be wise in an age of foolishness. Christians. The third point. That's propositional. A proposition of personal power. So there's something to be brought to the table for consideration here. We see in verses 51 through 56. So that Jesus is approaching Jerusalem in the opportunity in which his ministry is coming to a close. His ministry is being finalized. There's going to be the Passover. There's going to be the time in which he's arrested and he will be tried and he will be crucified. And he'll be resurrected. So he was, he was bent on going to Jerusalem. Nothing was going to stop him. But on his way to Jerusalem, he sent some disciples to a Samaritan village to prepare a place for him. But the disciples were repelled. They were rejected. Now there's a couple ways to look at this. Now, the Samaritan and the Jews, they never really got along because after uh, the exile and all the circumstances that came with that, other cultures came into Samaria and they intermarried, and so the the true Jewish race was not preserved, and so the Jews didn't want anything to do with the Samaritans. And of course, the Samaritans knew the Jews didn't like them. They didn't care anyway. They invented their own flavor of Judaism, and there was just this tension between them. But I find it truly amazing that Jesus wanted to go beyond these biases and prejudices because one of the first people he witnessed to found in the book of John was a Samaritan woman at the well. Do you remember that? And so Jesus has a heart for lost people. He has a heart for Samaritans. And so what happened was is that these disciples went into this village where it was. They were repelled. And so the disciples got kind of mad. Now were they rejecting Jesus? Because he was a Jew or rejecting him because he was on his way to Jerusalem with no intention of staying there? Was he rejecting or they being rejected because of that Jewish tradition? We don't really know. But I know one thing for sure. James and John were mad. They were really upset. Um, And so they said, listen. They said, Lord, do you want us to call, command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? What now? Okay. Jesus had been rejected all along. And now they're being asked, or he, they're, they're asking Jesus, should we just destroy them? Well, let's not make rash decisions about people who are not like us, who share the same convictions, Okay. We don't know what God was doing in their heart. Alright? Now, there's a whole piece of my notes that are gone. Okay. Listen. I found it. So they said, listen, should we call down fire from heaven to destroy them? 
couple of questions we have to ask ourselves. Did they think they knew the mind of God? What made them seem to think that they had the authority to wield such catastrophic power? I find that these individuals were what's called too big for their britches. <laughs> they were overconfident in their influence, their authority, their skill, or even their importance. And Jesus scolded them. He corrected them. He says, Do you, even, you don't even know what makes you tick. You don't understand what you're even made of. Your own biases and prejudices, the experience in the heart of others that we would know. It's very interesting because early in Jesus' ministry, on the Sermon on the Mount, He says, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And in fact, if you turn back just a page in chapter 9, verse 5, Jesus is telling the ministry of the twelve that they go out and minister in the kingdom of God, pronouncing that the Son of God has come. He said, listen, if they accept you, in verse 4, it says, whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that city. Whoever embraces you, embrace them back. But he says something very important. He says, as for those who do not receive you as you go... From that city, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they were supposed to give this symbolic, okay? We just won't have anything to do with you and walk off. But instead, John says, they rejected us. Can we burn them? <laughs> so we have to remember, not everyone's going to like us. Not everyone's going to like Jesus. So I joined this gym in Spokane Valley. Melanie worked behind the counter. She was an attendant that was there. And you know me, i got to talk to everybody. And so we were talking one day. She was an unbeliever. And I was sharing with her some of the frustration I had with one of the, the, uh, the gym members that were there. I say, hello. I say, how are you doing? Is there something I can do to help you today? And this guy would just snub me every time. He didn't know who I was. I was just being a nice guy. I know that's hard to believe. <laughs> and so I was telling Melanie about that guy over the corner. He just walks around like he's the cock on the block. I'm something. He pops out his chest and he just... And I said, you know something? He just doesn't have any time for me. And Melanie said something pretty important that I remember today, and I get to tell you this morning. You know what she said? She said this. What makes you seem to think, Craig, that everybody's going to like you? <laughs> and I thought, wow. <laughs> That's really something to think about. Not everybody's going to like us. But they do not deserve our condemnation. Not everybody's going to like Jesus. But it's not our role to judge them, their character, their heart, or the direction their life is going. Greatness in 2021. In fact, James 1.20 says this, The anger of man will not accomplish the purpose of God. So just because we're ticked may not be a righteous anger. So in closing, when we think about 
our place of personal ambition, then we have to ask ourselves, is it worldly ambition? God has no concern about how popular we are. God has no concern about the positions that we hold in our society. God has little or no concern about how much material we have. God is concerned about how we behave toward one another. Jesus said, the least of these you receive in my name, you receive me. So we think also that um, this possession of personal knowledge. Let's not make rash decisions about how people are when they're not like us. We don't know what God is doing. We don't know what happened to this, this exorcist. We don't know what happened. We didn't know where he went. God had a plan. We need to know that God is at work. Jesus is what's important. He didn't come to destroy, but to save. And so, looking to the new year, this is kind of kind of an odd set of scriptures to be looking at. But I think it touches all of our hearts to realize that we all need to grow. We all need to change. We all need to look at opportunity. We all need to look at people. We all need to just give it a think. So, the test of greatness something to ponder as we look forward. What will ministry look like? It's kind of like what we were saying back in March. We have no idea where this is going to go. But I see that this is a grand opportunity for all of us. Let's take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us again this time to open your word. We thank you that you've blessed us with the experience, the perspective of the disciples, and the direction of discipleship that Jesus gave to them and to us today. So greatest in the new year, Lord, may we look with anticipation of great things as you work continue in our lives. We bless you and we honor you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.